Gender. Body acceptance. Abortion. Sex. Racial justice. Feminism. Birth. Parenthood. Stigma. Bodily autonomy. And more. This is Reproductive Left by Mabel Watson Center, an independent feminist nonprofit comprehensive healthcare provider in Bangor, Maine. Join us as we explore topics that impact our sexual and reproductive health and lives. Here's your host, Aspen Rulin. Aspen uses they, them pronouns and is our client and community advocate. Hi all, I'm Aspen, I use they, them pronouns, and welcome back to Reproductive Left. While you're not hearing this during Poetry Month, I am recording it during Poetry Month. And let's be real, isn't every month Poetry Month in a way? Today, I want to particularly highlight feminist poetry. First, let's give that a quick definition. I am not exclusively talking about self-described cis white feminist poets. Rather, I'm talking about poetry that, to me, touches on topics important to feminism, particularly intersectional feminism. Because of the way that mainstream feminism has excluded trans people, BIPOC folks, disabled people, and more, there are many people out there who absolutely hold what I consider intersectional feminist values, but might not consider themselves a feminist. This is, of course, not an issue for marginalized people to solve, but something that mainstream feminism needs to reckon with and rectify. To the topic of feminist poetry. Today, I will be sharing with you some of my favorite feminist poems, and a few favorites from other folks here at Mabel Wadsworth Center. I do want to give a content warning that while nothing will be explicit, some of the poems will touch on topics like sexual assault, transphobia, and racism. I'll give another heads up before reading poems with possibly triggering content, so take care of yourselves however you need. First, I'm going to start with one of my all-time favorite poets, Edna St. Vincent Millay. A Maine-born poet who rose to prominence in the first half of the 20th century, she's arguably one of the most successful American poets to have ever put pen to page. Millay is well known for her lyrical poetry style, her boldness, and her bisexuality. Friends often used the nickname Vincent for her, and she would alternate between presenting as very feminine and very masculine. Personally, I've got my own theories about her gender existing somewhere under the non-binary umbrella, but that's a topic for a different day. The first poem of hers that I'll share with you today is Witch Wife. Witch Wife. She is neither pink nor pale, and she never will be all mine. She learned her hands in a fairy tale and her mouth on a valentine. She has more hair than she needs. In the sun, tis a woe to me. And her voice is a string of colored beads or steps leading into the sea. She loves me all that she can and her ways to my ways resign. But she was not made for any man and she never will be all mine. 
if you can't guess which wife gets me right in my little queer heart. The first thing I want to talk about is the description of the witch wife. She is neither pink nor pale. Right off the bat, Malay has established that her love interest is likely a woman of color. The only other physical descriptor that we get of the witch wife is that she has more hair than she needs. In the sun, tis a woe to me. Really emphasizing Malay's longing. This poem is the epitome of queer yearning, especially with that last stanza. She loves me all that she can, and her ways to my ways resign, but she was not made for any man, and she will never be all mine. Is Malay aligning herself with being a man, or saying that this witch wife is a lesbian who won't be held down? Either way, the yearning in this poem is poignant. This next Malay poem is deeply political, and also one that seems to be far lesser known compared to her poems on sex, love, and friendship. This piece, Apostrophe to Man, is definitely a favorite of mine, though. Apostrophe to Man, on reflecting that the world is ready to go to war again. Detestable race, continue to expunge yourself, die out. Breed faster, crowd, encroach, sing hymns, build bombing airplanes, make speeches, unveil statues, issue bonds, parade. Convert again into explosives the bewildered ammonia and the distracted cellulose. Convert again into putrescent matter drawing flies, the hopeful bodies of the young. Exhort, pray, pull long faces, be earnest, be all but overcome. Be photographed, confer, perfect your formulae, commercialize bacteria harmful to human tissue, put death on the market, breed, crowd, encroach, expand, expunge yourself, die out, homo called sapiens. Written in the 30s, this piece clearly focuses on the devastation of World War I, discussed with the pending World War II, and frustration with a world that allows and encourages such violence. One thing I want to point out, though, are the problems I have with this piece. There is a lot of generalizing of humanity in this, and while that is understandable to a degree considering the focus on world wars, the language around breeding and overpopulation sticks out to me. These are arguments that we hear sometimes around climate change and human damage to the environment. This idea that humanity as a monolith is responsible for this harm. That's just incorrect, though. How many indigenous people across the globe actively fight for the land? How many poor people are chewed up and spit out by the war machine and by capitalism? Let's give credit where it is due. Not the whole of humanity, and certainly not those who choose to have children. This destruction is a product of capitalism, white supremacy, and government-enacted violence. This isn't to say that this is not a powerful poem. It is, just one that also has flaws. Now, I'm going to shift gears to another favorite poet of mine, Travis Alabanza. They are a queer, trans, black performance artist and writer from the UK who is often very critical of mainstream feminism for transphobia. Their work is both raw and beautiful in equal measures. The two poems of Alabanza's that I'll be sharing with you today are from their 2017 chapbook, Before I, You, Step Outside, Love Me. 
And the first is the C. The C. Sometimes I stand by the edge of where the ocean meets the beach and I look out into the sea so I can see something that does not have an end. I often get asked what my gender feels like and I want to say it is more like what I wish it could feel like. I wish it could feel like this moment. Like it does not have a beginning or an end. That you cannot see where it starts or stops. That it just continues to exist or not exist. That it is a vast space of nothingness in one wave and holds so much in the next. That it is like the moment where the sea feels endless. Sometimes I stand by the edge of where the ocean meets the beach and look out into the sea so I can feel like something that does not have an end. Cis people ask me what gender feels like and that never allows me to say what my gender really is. My gender feels like something stopped halfway through, a badly formatted tape to CD conversion, missing full potential, the second character on a video game without levels, no up or down. It feels like an unfinished, a body of water, potential to do so much, yet eventually bottled. Sometimes I stand by the edge of where the ocean meets the beach and look out into the sea that looks out over my gender, that pours over my body and makes me feel like nothing. On the following page, in larger text, it says, My gender feels defiant. My gender feels powerful. I am worthy of care. Over a picture of Travis Alabanza. I remember just how seen I felt when I first read this poem from Alabanza. They do such a phenomenal job of discussing such a personal thing as gender in a way that resonates with others, while also using straightforward language that is somehow poetic in their crafting of it. This next poem of theirs, Womb In Only, is one that demonstrates the damage that transphobia deals, particularly in so-called feminist spaces. Side note, the title for this, Womb In Only, is spelled W-O-M-B-E-N, and I wanted to make sure you all caught on the play on words while listening. Womb In Only. They said the room was women only. I heard womb only. I heard womb and only our wounds. I heard the silence from the white women who laughed when their boyfriend called me a freak on the tube. I heard them say women only as I watched their mouths disregard that I could ever be in danger. I heard them measure up who was women enough to be in their room. I heard the stare each of them throw right at the bulge between my legs. I heard them scream privilege in my ear as I wonder what life gives me the honor to hide myself on the streets. I heard them say womb as I remember hiding fetus curved on the bed, not knowing what to wear today. I heard us both say that we are what we are wearing does not make it our fault. I heard only one of us nod at the other. Womb. Womb only. Woman only. Woman only assist wounds. And on the other page, it says, if you are trans and reading this right now, please whisper to yourself, 
I am fucking incredible and my existence matters. If you are cis and reading this and have a trans friend, please commit to texting them this week and asking how they are, if they need anything, if you can support them. I cannot think of a piece of writing poetry or otherwise, that better demonstrates not just the cognitive dissonance of turf ideologies, but also the damage that they do to real people. For listeners who don't know, TERF stands for trans-exclusionary or trans-eradicating radical feminists. While we absolutely need to address people who call themselves feminists while doing very unfeminist things, I personally feel it would be more accurate to call TERFs faux-minists, spelled with a F-A-U-X. Subscribing to gender essentialism and biological essentialism certainly goes against the most basic, long-standing values of feminism for me. Alabanza really speaks to the intersection of transphobia and misogyny, also known as transmisogyny, that trans women and trans feminine people are subjected to. Before I talk about our next poet, here's Abby with a Mabel's Fast Fact. Mabel Wadsworth Center was founded with two main purposes, to be an independent clinic in Maine where people could access and discuss all pregnancy options, including abortion care, and to create a safe and affirming space for the LGBTQ community. Learn more about our history at MabelWadsworth.org. Now, I want to share a few poems from another longtime favorite poet of mine, Andrea Gibson. Also from Maine, Gibson's poetry has been influential not only in my own writing, but also in figuring out my gender as a non-binary genderqueer person. In regards to their gender, they tweeted this short poem in December 2020. You explain your gender by saying you are happiest on the road, when you're not here or there but in between, the yellow line running down the center like a sunbeam. Your name is not a song you will sing under your breath. Your pronouns haven't even been invented yet. All of their work that I'm sharing today is from their book, Lord of the Butterflies, published in 2018, and they are particularly known for their spoken word poetry. This first piece I'll share definitely connects to Alabanza's Womb In Only. White Feminism, Noun. A racism that claims it is at least better than no feminism at all. Like at least Hitler was a vegetarian. Like we could actually get comfortable being the uneaten animal in the lamp in the lap of the man making lampshades out of human skin. Some important context to get out of the way is that Gibson is white and how important it is for white people to recognize and challenge white supremacy. It's important, but also basic. It should be expected. This is not something you should do because you expect praise for it, but simply because it's what's right. Back to this specific poem, I think it does a phenomenal job of showing how damaging white-centric feminism is. Far too often, feminists who are white will downplay and excuse racism, whether it is their own or that of fellow white feminists. 
I also found it very fitting to use the analogy with vegetarianism, as it is unfortunately common to see those who advocate for the well-being of animals devalue and dehumanize Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. This next poem from Gibson is a longer, more personal piece, titled First Love. First Love. I don't think I ever really kissed any boys. I think my tongue had just been punching their tongues. But as soon as you loved me, all my callous went away, my hands so soft it hurt to pray. You'd pick me up at my Catholic college and I'd sleep for hours until we reached your house. The first time in my life I'd ever rested. The first time I didn't have to play a role I'd never really wanted to get. That's the medicine it is, to be finally seen by someone. I'd crack a smile and you'd point to my chest and say, what just broke? I'd throw my body in the river, but you'd say my name right and I'd become a stone that skipped. Do you remember the first record where we didn't have to change the pronouns to sing along? We'd gone so many years without music that knew us, music that knew you could arch your back and I'd have proof that the earth was round. Bless who we were then, bless who we still are. My straight friends tease me because all my best friends are my ex-loves, but a wise heart told me it's the most tender part of queerness. How we've all lost so much family when we find people we call family will do almost anything to not let go. Thank goodness for the ice storm that trapped us in that cheap hotel where I drank an entire bottle of something awful. And with my fisherman's accent that I hadn't chased away yet, I finally told you I'd loved you since you we were sick since we were 15, playing basketball under the streetlights beside the poorest part of the sea. The ice storm froze the world outside into a photograph of the past while I kneeled down and kissed my future onto your kneecaps. Two decades talking to Jesus, that was the first time I heard him talk back. Months later, church bells ringing through my dorm room, I wrote my senior thesis about you and no one knew. How hard I was praying to stop hiding myself in metaphor, to be brave enough to carve the truth into the chapel door. Only you can imagine how much time I spent picking out my outfit the night you took me to my first queer bar in Portland, Maine, the biggest city I'd ever walked through. I was so excited and so scared that we'd be spotted or killed on our way inside. We sat in the parking lot for over an hour till I changed my mind and you drove me home, mascara pouring down my brand new boy shirt. I couldn't have guessed there'd ever come a time like the winter we traveled to Blue Hill to visit your mother. Asleep when we arrived after midnight, she'd lit our room with candles and rested a joint in the center of the bed. Neither of us were any good at smoking, but we pulled her welcome into our lungs like it was 100 years of oxygen. Up until then, we didn't know anyone in the world would celebrate us. Wiping the steam from the glass to see each other blushing in the same bathroom mirror in the morning. I was thinking about that a few months ago, when I was invited back to my Catholic college to read my poems for the first time. You, in the front row, near the nuns and the school president and the teacher who had given me an A, on the manuscript I had been too terrified to write your name in. 
Mandy, I know so much has not gotten easier. I know so much has not gotten better, but that moment knocked the wind out of me. Time finally being the kind father we all deserve. The world turning its porch light on for us. It was so bright, I could feel the freckles on my 15-year-old face warming in its glow. I could feel hope traveling backward to find us, to whisper into our chests, there will be music for you one day. I was born almost two decades after Gibson and grew up in a very different part of the state. So while much of this is not my experience, it still resonates with me deeply. As far as I can tell, I'd still have to go all the way down to Portland to go to a gay bar. There is so much I could say about this poem, but instead I'll focus on that last line. There will be music for you one day. It is all at once both heartbreaking and healing. I'm going to change speed for a second and switch over to a poem suggested and recorded by our lovely recent intern, Emma. A small content warning for this poem, Party Dress for a Firstborn by Rita Dove, as there are some themes of sexual violence, though they are covert. Party Dress for a Firstborn by Rita Dove published in her book of prose, Mother Love, in 1995. Headless girl, so ill at ease on the bed. I know, if you could, what you're thinking of. Nothing. I used to think that, too, whenever I sat down to a full plate or unwittingly stepped on an ant. When I ran to my mother, waiting radiant as a cornstalk at the edge of the field, nothing else mattered. The world stood still. Tonight... Men stride like elegant scissors across the lawn to the women arrayed there, petals waiting to loosen. When I step out, disguised in your blushing skin, they will nudge each other to get a peek, and I will smile, all the while wishing them dead. Mother's calling. Stand up, it will be our secret. I think this poem really demonstrates how poetry can be used to communicate a message in more covert and subtle ways. That particularly works with this piece, which expresses feelings of fear and shame as a subject goes from childhood into womanhood and expresses the discomfort of being sexualized and possibly victimized by men in the context of a party. Sexuality and sexual violence are, quite understandably, common topics when it comes to feminist poetry, as they are frequent topics of discussion within feminism. This next poet I'll share is someone who writes on both of these topics extensively. Stacey Ann Chin describes herself in her Twitter bio as writer, poet, activist, lesbian, feminist, Jamaican, immigrant, radical, mother. I was first introduced to her work through spoken word poetry on YouTube, and soon after read her memoir, The Other Side of Paradise. This first poem I'll share, Crossfire, shares its name with her book of poetry that it is from, and more overtly discusses sexual violence. Crossfire. Am I a feminist or a womanist? The student needs to know if I do men occasionally and primarily am I a lesbian? Tongue tied up in my cheek, I attempt to respond with some honesty. This business of dykes and dykery, I tell her, is often messy. With social tensions as they are, you never quite know what you're getting. 
girls who are only straight at night, hardcore butches be sporting dresses between nine and six during the day. Sometimes he is a she trapped by the limitations of our imagination. Primarily, I tell her, I am concerned about young women who are raped on college campuses, in cars, after poetry readings like this one, in bars, bruised lip and broken heart. You will forgive her if she does not come forward with the truth immediately, for when she does, it is she who will stand trial as damaged goods. Everyone will say she asked for it. Dressed as she was, she must have wanted it. The words will knock about in her head. Horny, bitch, slut, tease, harlot, loose woman. Some people cannot handle a woman on the loose. You know those women in silk ties and pinstriped shirts. Those women in blood red stilettos and short pink shorts, skirts. These women make New York the most colorful place. And while we're on the subject of diversity, Asia is not one big race. And there is no such country called the islands. And no, I am not from there. There are a hundred ways to slip between the cracks of our not-so-credible cultural assumptions of race and religion. Most people are surprised my father is Chinese, like there's some kind of preconditioned look for the half-Chinese lesbian poet who used to be Catholic but now believes in dreams. Let's keep it real, says the boy in the double X hooded sweatshirt. That blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus in the Vatican ain't right. That motherfucker was Jewish, not white. Christ was a Middle Eastern Rasta man who ate grapes in the company of prostitutes and drank wine more than he drank water. Born of the spirit, the disciples also loved him in the flesh. But the discourse is on people who clearly identify as gay or lesbian or straight. The state needs us to be left or right. Those in the middle get caught in the crossfire way at the other side. If you are not for us, you must be against us. People get scared enough, they pick a team. But be it for Buddha or for Krishna or for Christ, God is that place between belief and what you name it. I believe holy is what you do when there is nothing between your actions and a truth, never one thing or the other. I am everything I fear. Tears and sorrows, black windows and muffled screams. In the morning, I am all I ever wanted to be. Rain and laughter, bare footprints and invisible seams, always without breath or definition. I claim every single dawn for yesterday is simply what I was, and tomorrow, even that will be gone. This is one of the first poems I ever heard from Chin, and my reading of it cannot do it justice. Really, you have to look up videos of her performing. Her voice and stage presence give me goosebumps every time without fail. Crossfire, both this poem and the book it is from, covers so much. Sexual violence and how survivors are blamed. Queerness, both in gender and sexuality, and the way we are made to sick pick sides and fit into a binary, racism and religion. This next poem from Stacey Anchin, I will also give a content warning for, both for sexual violence and physical violence. Passing. Downtown Brooklyn is easy for me. Long sheer skirts do little to hide my open-legged strides, see-through button-down sleeveless blouses hug my bodice so tight my nipples are barely concealed by the carefully chosen push-up bra from Macy's. See, I'm a femme, 
A real lipstick lesbian, so I can pass. Smelling like a straight girl in my Victoria's Secret satin panties, passing against the men who walk alongside me, passing the way my yellow-skinned grandmother passed as white women sat in judgment. On plantation stools, overlooking fields of cotton and sugarcane, sweetened by gallons of black blood and sweat running down thick between the full breasts of the women who lay as still, who lay still as blue-eyed men pierced their hearts deep through the folds joining their legs. It's J Street Borough Hall and my friend is in trouble. Someone takes the time to notice that the young boy is really a young girl and the red, white, and blue jacket is not enough to cover the tattoo on her belly. Two naked women wrapped around each other like pretzels that came out different from the rest. It takes two minutes for them to break two ribs, one for her lover who passes all the time, the other she keeps for herself, and as those bones set, her sorrow breaks wide open because she knows she can never pass. She knows that butch bodies are too strong, too strange, too dark, like those bronze bodies that smell too thickly of rebellions and revolutions, and we know that revolutions take time and sacrifice and lives to turn this world around. Sometimes it makes me angry that they think I look like them so they can convince themselves I am okay, but I hasten to show them the tangled wool between my thighs. I am quick to remind them that the funk from me only rises when my woman touches me, that I can only come when she calls my name. We need to let them know that we do not wish to pass as semi-white or almost straight or nearly normal so we can hold down corporate jobs stroking narrow-minded dicks so we can be invited to family dinners to disown our brothers and sisters who cannot pass, who will not pass. We must let them know that after the broken bones have healed, that we will still be here, that long after the bruised hearts have ceased to hurt, we will still be here and long, long after our mothers no longer weep, we will still be here, still gay, still black, still survivors in the face of this blatant bigotry that will one day force us to lace arms and strike back. Passing manages to not only express the anger and fear around homophobic violence, but also the justified rage and pride in response to it. Chin uses bold, straightforward language, and like I man mentioned with Alabanza, makes it poetic in its power. In the same breath that she is heartbroken and angry, she is sexually explicit and proud. And of course, we cannot understate the intersectionality as race plays a big factor in this piece. This next piece is also more sexually explicit. Litany of Desire. Her body is a litany of desires. I wrap them frail around my body, ribs striped and stretched toward healing, grotesque, beautiful. These sores, I carry them, fingers sticky and heavy with exactitude, flay the muscled sacrament with wine and water and bread and worship. I want you, litany, like bleeding, like a fire fanned open, like my legs insistent, like fate, like salt, like memory. 
Tell them to me your stories. Tender to the touch. This is what I have always wanted from you. The cracked edge of what has only just begun to harden. I want you against time and revelation and beds too far away. I want you wanting me clothed in the absolution of fangs and forks and fucks we shouldn't have. I want you buried in the belly of a blind belief like Jonah, like an apostle, like Mary, like Joseph, like God. I want your spirit made flesh within me, frail and futile. I want to follow you, broken ground you, sound you hoarse from the flick of my foreign tongue, like mud, like martyr, and mornings without sun. I want to quiet you, like quick, like cunt, like hollow, like whole. I want to hold you holy like a prayer, like benediction, like intercession, like hallelujah, like hallelujah, like hallelujah, like amen. I love the focus on queer desire and pleasure in this poem. Far too often, sexuality is seen as a thing to be ashamed of for women and queer folks. As a lesbian, Chin defies that mandated shame and revels in sex and sexuality. This brings us to the next poem and poet I want to share, Loose Woman by Sandra Cisneros. This poem was suggested by Mary Alice, one of our fantastic nurse practitioners. Cisneros' name may be familiar to you, as she's also the author of the well-known novel, The House on Mango Street. Loose Woman. They say I'm a beast and feast on it, when all along I thought that's what a woman was. They say I'm a bitch or witch. I've claimed the same, never winced. They say I'm a matcha, hell on wheels, viva la vulva, fire and brimstone, man-hating, devastating, boogie woman lesbian. Not necessarily, but I like the compliment. The mob arrives with stones and stick to maim and lame and do me in. All the same, when I open my mouth, they wobble like gin. Diamonds and pearls tumble from my tongue, or toads and serpents, depending on the mood I'm in. I like the itch I provoke, the rustle of rumor like crinoline. I am the woman of myth and bullshit. True, I authored some of it. I built my little house of ill repute, brick by brick, labored, loved, and masoned it. I live like so, heart as sail, ballast, rudder, bow, rowdy, indulgent to excess, my sin and success. I think of me to gluttony. By all accounts, I am a danger to society. I am a pancha villa. I break laws, upset the natural order, anguish the Pope and make fathers cry. I am beyond the jaw of law. I'm la desperada, most wanted public enemy. My happy picture grinning from the wall. I strike terror among the men. I can't be bothered what they think. Que se vean a la ching chang chong. For this, the cross, the calvary. In other words, I'm anarchy. I'm an aim well, shoot sharp, sharp tongued, sharp thinking, fast speaking, foot loose, loose tongued, let loose, woman on the loose, loose woman. Beware, honey. I'm bitch, beast, matcha, wachale. Ping, ping, ping. I break things. The way that Cisneros flips the script on misogynist language, like calling someone a loose woman, is so powerful. Things like loose woman and bitch are used to control and shame women, remind them that they are supposed to be submissive, and Cisneros refuses this shame. Instead, she wears them like a badge of honor, choosing to be bold and own herself. 
If you couldn't gleam it from the language he used in the poem, Cisneros is Mexican-American and actually holds dual citizenship. This, of course, shapes her experience as a woman, just as Stacey Anchin's shapes her experience, though of course in unique ways. Similarly, while both Andrea Gibson and Travis Alabanza exist outside of the gender binary and are connected, they've both had very different lived experiences because of their assigned sexes at birth and their races. These are just a couple of examples of the importance of an intersectional approach to feminism. I'm going to shift gears to a very differently themed poem that was suggested by another Mabel staff member, our mental health counselor, Naya. She suggested Mary Oliver's Wild Geese, a fairly well-known poem that I quite enjoy. Mary Oliver, as I'm sure many of our listeners already know, is a beloved American poet that passed a couple years ago and who is well known for her work around nature. Wild Geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. While she's known for focusing more on nature than people, this poem is a great example of a combination of those topics, which is fair as we are part of nature. I love the message of this poem, that we do not need to be perfect or make great accomplishments. We simply need to be, and as Oliver says, let the soft animal of our bodies love what they love. Before I discuss our next poet, here's another Mabel's Fast Fact with Abby. It's Pride Month. Did you know that half of our staff identify as part of the LGBTQ community? And we are proud to provide safe and affirming health care for queer folks in Maine. Happy Pride Month. Now I'm going to share a few poems from Morgan Parker. I have her book, There Are More Beautiful Things Than Beyonce, but she's got other poetry collections out like Other People's Comfort Keeps Me Up at Night, and Magical Negro, which won the National Book Critics Circle Award. The inside cover of There Are More Beautiful Things Than Beyonce, published in 2017, reads, The only thing more beautiful than Beyonce is God, and God is a black woman sipping rosé and drawing a lavender bath, texting her mom, belly laughing in the therapist's office, feeling unloved, being on display, daring to survive. Morgan Parker stands at the intersections of vulnerability and performance, of desire and disgust, of tragedy and excellence. Unrelentingly feminist, tender, ruthless, and sequined, these poems are an altar to the complexities of Black American womanhood in an age of non-indictments and deja vu, and a time of wars over bodies and power. These poems celebrate and mourn. They are a chorus chanting, you're gonna give us the love we need. 
With that, let's dive into some of her work. First though, a quick content warning for racism and implied sexual violence in this next poem. Hot and Top Venus. I wish my pussy could live in a different shape and get some goddamn respect. Should I thank you? Business is booming and I am not loved the way I want to be. I am an elastic winter, sympathy and shock, addictive decoration. In the sunlight, my captors drink African hibiscus. They tell me I look regal bearing fruit. I am technically nothing human. I will never be a woman. Somewhere in my memory, I was held by a man who said I deserved it. Now I understand. No one worries about me because I am getting paid. I am here to show you who you are, to cradle your large skulls and remind you you are perfect. Mother America, unleash your sons, everything beautiful you own. First, I want to talk about the title. If you're not familiar with Hot and Top Venus, it's definitely something you should know. I don't have time to get into the full history, so you absolutely need to go do more research on this, but the simplified version is that Sarchi Bartman, an African woman, was shown in freak shows in London and Paris in the early 19th century for onlookers to gawk at her buttocks and vulva. Not content to dehumanize her with this name and treatment, her skeleton, brain, and sexual organs were on display in a museum in Paris until the 70s, and her remains were not repatriated or buried until the early 2000s. In this poem, it is hard to tell if Parker is speaking from her own perspective, that of Bartman, or a combination of the two. I'm inclined to believe it's the latter, as this dehumanization and insidious sexualization of black women and their bodies is present still today. The lines, I am technically nothing human, I will never be a woman, stand out to me in particular. Misogynoir, that intersection of misogyny and racism that black women experience, includes objectification. If Bartman and Parker are seen as objects, then they aren't seen as human and they aren't seen as women. Black women, including cis black women, are very much excluded from womanhood. Within our culture, womanhood was created for white women. The standards for womanhood and for femininity are catered to the white experience. And while it certainly does exclude and harm white women as well, it is not in the same ways that it impacts black women and other women of color. Without really trying, I can think of several famous cis black women who have been insulted with racist and misogynistic language and called men simply for existing as black women. This next poem from Morgan Parker also focuses on race and sex, but with more of a theme of autonomy. It's getting hot in here, so take off all your clothes. All day men shout like lizards, sharp-tongued in the desert for salty flies. The sky's the boss of us. I can't spit when I try. In the heat, less is everything. Respect, power, mouths, sex. All of it is taken from me. I step into a volcano and melt like the witch I am. I want to be flawed all the way to bed. Wake up, flawless. Subjected, flawless. Swallowed my tongue for communion. I mean volcano. I erupt with a mouth like a bossy eagle. I made my bed so I have sex in it. 
My body gets more for less and oh, when I say less, I mean as in classically beautiful, flaws spilling out of my mouth like sexy moon rocks. I cut out men's tongues and I sharpen myself and I'm scary and I'm bossy. I'm the chick chick who raises snakes like a volcano, spews its desert under pressure, volcanic in the streets and volcanic in the bed. Less kitchenware, more potent libidos bossing men around. All day they shout, flaws on my crystal. All day I see their tongues. It's literal. It isn't sexual. Okay, maybe it is about sex. What passes for magic? How a sleeping volcano is still a volcano. How with my tongue I turn on a light like God, and I have less privilege than God. How even with flaws under these clothes, I could be the boss of you without them. Magic. Boss you all night long. And of course I mean sex, but I mean teaching too. Black girl rage, flawless. This diamond, my diamond, in a volcano's hot lost city, and I do not mean helpless. Parker just has such a way with words. As we've seen, a lot of feminist poetry is about sex and sexuality, and more specifically, owning that sexuality with pride. This poem manages to be about both the loss of power and the taking of it. Based on the title of the book this is from, it's not surprising to see references to Beyonce throughout. In this case, with the repetition of flawless. Parker names and claims flaws while also claiming that flawlessness, a powerful dichotomy. Thanks for joining me on Reproductive Left to talk about feminist poetry today. Who's your favorite feminist poet? 